Hey Jess, should I buy a timeshare? Only if you want to massively overpay for your vacation and be stuck going to the same place for the rest of your life. Welcome to Fleece Fest, where we talk about the one time when rent is actually throwing money away. I'm Dan, and having just spent a weekend in Disneyland, I am tempted by the timeshare proposition. Man, are just Disney nerds here. Uh, I'm Jessica, and I'll be honest, the timeshare at Disney's Polynesian Village Resort has tempted me more than once. But then I remember how much I blow on pin trading every time I visit Disney, and maybe it's not such a good idea that I visit there every year. So, Jess, what is a timeshare other than, of course, the best investment you'll make in your family's quality of life? Did you go to a timeshare presentation when you were at Disneyland, Dan? Maybe. <laughs> So basically, a timeshare is where you buy into a property, usually some kind of resort or chain hotel, something like that. And in exchange for your money, you get the right to use the property. Oh, so you weren't kidding in the intro when you said it was renting, except you're buying into it. You're an owner. So that seems better. Yeah, well, on their face, they seem pretty cool, right? There are different types of timeshare options. Some you get a week every year at a particular location or time. There's also ones that run as point systems, so you can use your points at different times and different locations. You don't have to stick to the same place every time. If there's a place that you like to visit or a resort you enjoy, you can lock in annual trips at what sounds like an affordable cost, at least in theory. I feel like... Points are a synonym for money here. Like, couldn't I just use United States dollars to accomplish the same thing? I, I, I guess I'm saying that, but there's probably a but coming. Oh, Dan, I've got more butts than a Sir Mix-a-Lot video on this topic. <laughs> okay, changing the rating of this podcast from PG-13 to R. <laughs> All right, well, let's first talk about the costs. So generally, you pay a lump sum for the timeshare or the points, whatever, however it works. The price depends a lot on where you're buying, the type of timeshare that you're buying, what perks you get, et cetera, et cetera. I found a bunch of different averages, and they all seem to be in the range of about twenty dollars to $25,000, although they can go much higher if you've got bougie tastes. Again, not bad if it gets you a week every year at the Disney Polynesian. <laughs> Avoiding going into any math on how I spend my money on Disney vacations, uh, let's look at the next big cash outlay. Most people don't have the funds to purchase their timeshare outright, so they get a loan. Timeshares don't qualify for mortgages, so you're stuck getting a personal loan and one that's likely to very high interest rate. Often the timeshare companies are setting up the loan for you, but they won't really make the, the costs of the loan very clear or the interest rates that you're paying. Then there's the ongoing fees. We got maintenance fees, real estate taxes, annual ownership fees, special assessments. All these costs stack up and they aren't fixed. Increasing maintenance costs is actually one of the main drivers for people wanting to get out of their timeshare. Okay, but surely by all considerations here, it's just like owning a car past the loan term, right? Like I'm pretty sure that buying used or having a paid off car is pretty much universally considered better than having a car payment. So doesn't the issue here stop being such a big problem if the real estate investment is paid off and you just have some ongoing maintenance costs? 
Well, and that's actually assuming it gets paid off at some point, which we're going to get into later. Uh, but a car actually isn't a bad comparison here because like cars, timeshares almost never appreciate in value. <laughs> People assume that because it's property that it's going to grow, right? And the salesperson giving the sale pitch, sales pitch is also saying the same thing. Yes, this is an investment. It will grow in value. Unfortunately, Dan, they're lying. Uh, what? While they're what? <laughs> What? Crazy talk. Uh, it's almost like commissions, you know, might make this a little tougher here. Anyway, um, <laughs> while there are occasionally properties that do sustain or even grow in their value, they are like super far and few in between. Almost all timeshares plummet in value when you, well, you'll find out when you go to sell. They basically plummet in value the second that you buy one. And in some cases, you can't even sell your timeshare. Lease contracts don't convey any type of ownership, and you're simply locked in for a set number of years, and then the property just reverts back to the original owner. Oh, so I'm not paying off my car in this analogy. I'm just leasing it for decades. Yeah. Well, at least with a car, it's providing you an important service, namely transportation, right? Here, you're basically just forcing yourself to take vacation every year to the same place, whether you can afford it or not. And then there's what happens when you decide you don't want your timeshare anymore. So in a nutshell, basically, you're fucked. Oh, that, that's a technical term, right? Mm -hmm, yeah. If you thought getting out of your gym membership was bad, think again. There's a tiny period right after you buy, usually less than two weeks, it's even sometimes just a couple of days, where you can cancel your contract. But after that, it gets insanely difficult to ditch your timeshare. Best case, your timeshare company will allow you to return your timeshare, usually for a fee. Sometimes it's small, usually it's not. This is totally at their discretion, though, and as far as I can tell, not very common. So assuming that doesn't work for you, the next step is to try and sell it on the open, open market, assuming that you actually have the right to sell the property again. Not everyone does. As I mentioned before, this is often a rude awakening for people. Timeshares trade at a fraction of their value on the open market, and it's not unheard of for people to try and give them away, and they do that un unsuccessfully. This option, again, is not available to people who got their loan directly from the timeshare company, though. In order to sell those properties, the loan has to be fully paid off. And this is where the worst case scenarios pop up. So you bought a timeshare expecting to pay a certain dollar amount, and you took a loan from the timeshare company to do it, who conveniently doesn't go over the fine print. But then your costs start to go up, maintenance fees increase, and you have less money to pay your loan down, which you know continues to grow this whole time, right? At rates triple what a mortgage company would charge you. And you call the timeshare company asking for help, and of course, they will happily work with you uh, to get your loan payment down, right? Uh, they're focused on the monthly costs, but ultimately, they just end up giving you a new loan, and which, as you might guess, that doesn't end well either. Uh, people just have more and more loan balances and more debt to service each month, and then you just basically have something that you completely can't afford. And that leads us to the next layer of our shit sandwich, timeshare exit companies. Why do those sound familiar? I, I feel like I feel like we might have talked about those before. Didn't didn't oh you know what? Didn't we talk about these in our Dave Ramsey episode? 
All roads lead back to bad influencer advice on the show, Dan. But yes, Dave Ramsey loves to talk about how terrible timeshare companies are. And on this fact, he's right. <laughs> I'll give him that. Uh, but of course, it's also that he can get paid to pitch unethical timeshare exit companies. Uh, to be fair, though, he does seem to have distanced himself on this after he got hit with a $150 million lawsuit for endorsing one of these firms. I am sure that those two events are completely unrelated. It is a total coincidence. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Ethics and lawsuits aside, these companies run a big business, right? Many charge thousands upon thousands of dollars to quote unquote negotiate on your behalf. Most of what they do is just write letters that frankly you could have written yourself or get an attorney for uh, to work on it for you. But they are preying on people who are in a desperate, desperate situation. It's an industry that's frankly ripe with fraud, unfortunately. And as an aside, while researching this episode, I made the very critical error of not doing an incognito search when I was searching timeshare exit companies. And now my Facebook feed is littered with all of these ads for these companies. Kill me, please. I mean, also, you are on Facebook, so they probably think that you are a 60-year-old grandmother. Uh, but, yeah, you know, yeah. the hazards of podcasting, I guess. So <laughs> what options do people actually have to get out of these timeshares, assuming that they can't just sell them or give them up? Yeah, so kind of the first step, as I mentioned before, is you can try to negotiate with the company. You can also attempt to rent the property out. Uh, some people just attempt to abandon abandon the timeshare, but unfortunately, in those cases, the fees will continue to accumulate and they will report it on your credit. Unfortunately, for some people, the only way out is bankruptcy. So if timeshares are such bad purchases, why do people keep buying them? Well, it's the same reason people get stuck with shitty permanent life insurance policies or annuities. Aggressive sales tactics. Uh, tell me if you've heard this before, Dan. You've won a free vacation to a beautiful, beautiful resort in Myrtle Beach, and all you need to do is sit through a short presentation and you'll get your trip no strings attached. Jess, I'm a toydarian. Mind tricks don't work on me. Only money. I am not susceptible to aggressive sales pitches. This is an easy free vacation. Bring it on. <laughs> well, that's what everyone thinks. Although if there's one person in the entire world that I think that actually could make it through a sale, uh, timeshare sales pitch, it's going to be you, Dan. The secret is being politely hostile as opposed to being politely patient. Uh, <laughs> jokes aside, uh, I seem to recall a phenomenal South Park episode where the family wins a ski trip to Vail and the parents are literally, not figuratively, like literally trapped in a timeshare sales presentation. Like they get on a ski <laughs> lift and the ski lift just takes them to another presentation. <laughs> So Sisyphean. Uh, and actually, that's uh, the best parody is probably close to reality. So there, there's a little bit of truth in this, which we'll get to in a second. But ultimately, everybody goes into one of these meetings thinking they're not going to get a timeshare, Dan. But it happens. A lot of people still come out with a timeshare. Uh, you're often locked in a room with an aggressive salesperson for hours at a time, despite the promise of a short presentation, right? They'll say maybe it's 60 or 90 minutes, but ultimately you might be in there for four or five or even six hours. And the sales pitches are often deceptive or unclear. They'll tell you that you're saving money when you most certainly aren't. They'll say that the property goes up in value, which it most certainly will not. They'll show you the math. Of course, it's wrong. They'll ask you to sign pledges, prey on your fears and hopes. It's just incessant aggressive sales tactics. You'll read horror stories of not even being allowed to use the bathroom unless you agree to purchase the timeshare. 
Oh, so it's it's actually kidnapping. What I'm hearing here is that if you or your family go to a timeshare pitch, if we don't hear back, we should call Liam Neeson to come save you. I, I trust no one else to come to my rescue, obviously, Dan. Well, if you want to buy a lifelong vacation at some crappy resort or a beach town or Disneyland for way more than you'd ever spend on a one-time visit, consider buying a timeshare. I'm kidding. Never buy a timeshare. Never. Fleece Fests is produced by Daniel Yerker and Jessica Gettle. Daniel Yerker is an investment advisor representative of My Wealth Planners, a registered investment advisor in Colorado, and Jessica Gettle is an investment advisor representative of Pavilion Financial Planning, a registered investment advisor in Pennsylvania. Our theme song is Dr. Yes by Yari. Nothing discussed in this podcast is investment advice or any other form of advice, and the podcast is for education and entertainment purposes. If you make investments or other financial decisions because of the podcast, frankly, you weren't listening. Okay, having now spent a week in French Polynesia, all tiki Polynesian style things to me are now feel kind of cringy. Because it's all commercialized corporate cultural appropriation? No, because pina coladas shouldn't cost $20.